Hello and welcome to Anime to Z, the podcast dedicated to all things anime. I'm Shay Lingo. I'm a rapper, musician, and anime to me is what revenge is to Torfin, an obsession. All right, well, that means that I'm Beck Hill. I'm a comedian, <laughs> writer, and artist, and anime is to me what Torfin is to Ashalad, something I sometimes pretend not to care about, but actually I'd be really sad without it, and I kind of want it to be my friend. But I do sort of regret killing its dad in the name of five pounds of gold. And I forgot, I forgot what was the question? I don't think it was. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Anime to Z. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I loved our chat with Kat Jarman last week. Bro, she is amazing. Yeah, that was really, really fascinating. She was telling us about Vikings. So I wanted to know if there's any other viking-based animes out there i mean i assumed it was just this but berserk i mean that sounds about right doesn't it i think we've spoken about berserk before it's set in medieval times in war-torn europe but it's like it's got a lot of fantastical elements like that similar to vinland saga but it's loosely inspired by a viking story do you know right what I mean? so it's, it's a little like, less sort of historically yeah, yeah, more, yeah. it's more biblically focused actually Ooh, okay. yeah it's like more focused around the apostles and like demons and possession but also like the haunted, cursed journey of Jantz, who's the protagonist, who's like, a, who's like a cursed warrior. And he walks the earth and um, the demons from hell kind of follow him because of his curse. But then he has to kind of fulfill this destiny of kind of uh, finishing off all the apostles and eventually facing some some darker, darker wow. things. Yeah, it's, it's probably one of the darkest anime I've, I've, I've seen. And then you've got the ancient Magus Bride, which is kind of like a shoujo version of Vinland Saga. Okay, so what's shoujo? Shoujo is like, you've got shonen, which is like the, the perfect story written for like preteen boys. Right, um, yeah. But then shoujo is like the, the one for preteen girls. Okay, you know gotcha, I mean? gotcha. And it, it covers a lot more of an evocative kind of path and era and is directly based on it, but kind of touches on the similar things that Vinland Saga touches on as well. Oh, interesting. So if you could pick a period in history to kind of make an anime about, mm -hmm. what would it be and why? Half an hour ago. <laughs> I had a really good sandwich. Okay. The entire anime would be set around that. So yours would be all about sandwiches? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and proper history? I mean, I don't know. I think I, think I would like there to be more anime like around sort of the 60s free love type, that era where things started to become quite like into the 70s. Okay. There was that, that it was like the first wokeness. Yeah. You know, like there was a yeah, moment yeah, yeah. where everyone was like, it's cool, you know, to be who you want to be. And yeah. everyone's like, let's just accept everyone for who they are. Like and it was F really the first F the progressive. era kind of thing. Yeah. Nice. And then, and you know, and then for various reasons that then ended up, dying down and giving into the establishment so but would the anime be the exploration of the upward path of that or would it be f like set in the upward path of that or at the pinnacle of that and the decline into Ooh, maybe both maybe, maybe both. i want to see it going in and out and in and out yeah yeah via, via what kind of protagonist mm, oh like, like you got to get a lady you got to mm. get like go into whether the bra burning was a real thing maybe she starts in the office doing all the the oh, things, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yeah, doing yeah. all the crazy things, well not crazy, but doing all the mundane things that, and facing all the kind of typical misogynistic and like societal problems. Yeah. And then breaks away from that and then eventually becomes like this super revolutionary person in, oh, yeah, in history. See? And then, you know what I'm saying? And then I declines, maybe even declines and it ends, she declines back into 
the system in a way. Mm. Do you get me? Maybe like something tragic happens in her life. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it could it could be crazy. Could be so super crazy. What about you? What would your period of history be? I think my period of history would be I'd like to see an anime about Bob Marley's era. Mm. I think that would be pretty cool and how he influenced music. That's a bit of a crossover there, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen an anime based on anything to do with the Caribbean. I've seen Caribbean characters in anime, but I don't think I've ever seen a Caribbean based anime. Do you know what I mean? But I, I get I wonder if that's a, a thing where you'd want you'd want Caribbean creators to be behind that oh yeah definitely like yeah. there's definitely a studio out there somewhere and there's definitely a, a fan base for anime out there thousand percent but mm. it would just be a sick way to tap it if like mappa or somebody just said yeah we're gonna go out there and find them do mm. you know what i mean and on that note today we're discussing episode 10 of vinland saga season one ragnarok which is streaming right now on prime video and as per usual you can expect spoilers so if you'd rather watch the episode please press pause and then come back to us when you've caught up let's ragnarok and roll all right cool do you want to give us the quick recap yeah so uh elven prince gets captured Thorfinn has a dream that maybe he should go back to his family and Ashlad is losing it and goes all swing happy on a messenger and decides to take on thorkel and the english on his own. The onomatopoeia is amazing. Keep Thank going. you. That's it. That's my, that's it. That's that's my it. summary. That's it. Super short. I love yeah. that. I love that. That's Covering beautiful. it. How did you feel about this episode? I found this episode to be quite interesting. It was it was a lot slower than the other ones, but in the best of ways. And obviously Ashalad, mainly Ashalad focused. It created a little bit more context around Ashalad's backstory. You still don't get really much, but you get enough to be like, okay, there's a little bit more to you now. I'm starting to kind of... St- the, the layers are starting to become less blurry. There's mm. still layers and I still don't know what they are, but they're coming. They're becoming a lot less blurry. He seems to know a lot about the history of kind of England and Denmark and just Daneland generally. He seems to know quite a bit about that, which is interesting because no one else seems to be talking about that too much. Do you know mm. what I mean? He just, he'll just throw like little tidbits of information. Like, did you know about this? Or did you know about that? Or did you know that this happened back then? Or, Whatever and he asks his really not peculiar questions, but he asks his, he asks really like aloof questions sometimes, like and says really like broad things. So I think there's a, there's much more to Ashlad that uh, that I want to I want to know, and they're drip feeding that to us. Like they're giving us everything Torfin on a plate, and they're drip feeding Ashlad. So I'm 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 quite interested to see what else happens with him going forward. Yeah, yeah, me too. That's that's the exact feeling I had. I feel like he's very much in, um, he's made peace with his own mortality. Mm-hmm. So, and I know we spoke about this in a previous episode, but mm-hmm. the idea that perhaps he might be sick. So I think there might be an element, like a real tragedy would be if he died of natural causes before Thorfinn could kill him, oh, you know? <laughs> I think that would be like a poetic justice in a lot of ways. I think that would teach Thorfinn a, a great lesson. Yeah, that he's life. wasted his time. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It would teach him a fantastic lesson about... I kind of want that to happen now that you've said that. Mm. As much as I love Ashlad, I kind of want that to happen still. That is crazy. I mean, there's a great moment where Thorfinn's like, I'll kill you. Yeah. And Ashlad's like, well, we all die. Yeah, at some point. And he kind of just point, accepts the fact that, yeah, like... Which sort of totally underplays, like, what Thorfinn's making his whole deal. Do you get what I mean? So if yeah. he then died of, like, natural... I mean, we'll talk about it later, but yeah, then if he then yeah. died about, of natural causes... Or like an illness that would it would be a weird poetic justice for them both well should we uh buckle up and get into some context 
Cool. So what's on the agenda today, Beck? Well, in this episode, we get a little bit of a history lesson from Ashalad about what came before the Vikings. Mm. And I thought it'd be fun to investigate that. So Ashlad said that the Saxons destroyed the Romans and that the Vikings will destroy the Saxons. How true is that? Okay, so the Romans left Britain in 410. Mm-hmm. So then while they're not there, Britain gets invaded by uh, tribes from Northern Europe, the, uh, the Angles of the Saxons and the Utes, mm. which in Australia is just a type of car. <laughs> just <laughs> an open back car. <laughs> and in, in London means young person. How would they say it today? Here come the Utes. As I said before, the Angles and the Saxons... They both invaded, so it became an Anglo-Saxon kingdom. Mm -hmm. That's where we get the name from. Mm -hmm. And that was established throughout Britain. And when did the Vikings come about? So the Danish and the Norwegian Vikings first visited Britain in like the late 700s, nearly 800. Mm -hmm. And they were raiding coastal. You remember we were talking to Kat last week. So they were raiding coastal towns, collecting treasure. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then they began to stay and form their own communities Mm -hmm. in the east of England and Scotland. Mm -hmm. So many of the Viking invaders stay in Britain, especially in the east and north of England. And Kat mentioned that those areas were sort of known as Danelaw. Mm -hmm. And in fact, some of the places still have their sort of Viking names. So uh, Grimsby and Scunthorpe both come from Viking languages. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. And then uh, Anglo-Saxon kings continued to rule what is now England, except for a short period when there were Danish kings. And the first of these was King Canute, yeah. which in the show is spelt C-A-N-U-T-E, Canute, but it's it's actually spelt C-N-U-T, which I can understand why... (laughs) You want to spell that phonetically, because yeah. otherwise it's, it's very close to being misspelled. It could get sticky. It could get sticky. So the Viking Age only lasted about 300 years, which I, I say only lasted about 300 years, but mm. to be fair, I mean, a lot has happened in the last 300 years here. Yeah, that's, a, that's a very, very long time. Yeah. Technology, culture. Countries. Every, countries. That, that's a long time. Yeah, it's a long a time. A lot can happen in 300. 300? Yeah, a lot can happen in 300 years. So when Ashlad says that they'll destroy the Saxons, uh, it's not quite true. Basically, they lost the land, they gained or converted to Christianity, and mm. they were sort of phased out. Damn, so I guess they kind of got their Ragnarok then. Yeah, yeah, I guess you could say that. But shall we discuss the episode more in depth? Let's go. And joining us for that chat is YouTuber and anime liker Mark Fitzpatrick, a.k.a. Totally not Mark. Hi there. Thank you all for having me. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being here, ma'am. It's my pleasure. I love talking about this stuff anyway. And this was a series that I never uh, actually had a chance to get into until recently. So I'm very excited to talk about it. Yeah. Beautiful. Come on, let's get into it. So what would you say your relationship with anime is to this day? Like, when did you first find out about it, get into it? What do you love about it? Oh, well, I mean, if you want me to go back to the very start, it was probably when I was, I would say, 11 years old. I, I'm, I'm from Ireland, uh, so we didn't really get it that often, especially, like, you know, in the 90s. So I might, the very first time that I saw anything to do with anime was probably around 2001, 2002, and it was Dragon Ball. And so it kind of cascaded from there. And I didn't really get into it professionally until maybe my early 20s. I'm, I'm just after turning 30. So I've been covering it now for about five, six years. And yeah, it's just, it's, it, to be honest, I got into it because it's sort of like a medium that I think is underappreciated. And that might sound strange because it's extremely popular all across the world. But I feel like there's sort of a stigma associated with anime that isn't with books or 
uh, films or even Western TV series. There's sort of a, a sophistication to those things in many respects. And I that, that's sort of the approach that I like to bring to the actual properties that I cover. I try not to focus too heavily on how I feel about a particular property, even though that does shine through. Obviously, I'm quite passionate about the different things that I talk about. But for me, the things that are interesting about anime is how it approaches story and how it develops characters and how it depicts each and every story and narrative that it kind of like tries to tackle. I think it's sort of unique in that way. And it's especially nowadays, considering animation, at least 2D animation is sort of a dying art form in the West. And it's, I, I think, never been stronger in the East in Japan. So I think what they're doing out there is spectacular and worthy of a uh, conversation at the very least for any listeners who aren't familiar with your channel you do these incredible recaps of shows and speaking to you as well you've clearly got shelves and shelves behind you yeah that is just uh, full of crazy what's going uh, on behind manga you, and uh and dvds is that you've got behind you there are no dvds behind no, you. All manga, all manga. you have been making up for lost time for everything that you didn't get in your childhood in ireland yeah i know 100 <laughs> percent so obviously you recently reviewed Berserk and uh, Hunter Hunter on your channel. So what did you enjoy about those shows and what drew you to watching them in the first place? Very different reasons, actually. So I started by, uh, so last year I covered a lot of One Piece because that was like my first venture out beyond Dragon Ball into something different. And I was really excited by it. And I love the series. I mean, the, the series itself was well received and people really liked it. And that felt really great. So I wanted to kind of branch off into other things, but I wanted to kind of like push myself into areas where I'm less comfortable. So JoJo's Bizarre Adventure was a series I had up until that point been sort of vocal against because I had seen it years and years and years prior. So it, I, I had seen the first season or two seasons and it wasn't something at the time that I could resonate very well with. And so I kind of wanted to give the series another shot, particularly because I wanted to tackle it in my preferred art form, which was manga. And so I decided instead of looking at the anime, I'll look at the manga. And when I looked at the manga for Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, I was really blown away by how like engaged I was while I was reading it. I found that it was very different and again lived up to the name and the title of it, Bizarre. It was a very much a bizarre adventure. And as the series progressed, I learned more and more actually about the art the artist behind it, Araki, and his approach and the different things that he contributed. He had a lot of different stresses pushing him to go in different directions with the series because by its very nature it's incredibly uh, unconventional. But uh he, I I did respect that a lot about him. For Jojo's Bizarre Adventure it was very much well, I was wrong in the past and I was very happy to, you know, reapproach the series with kind of a fresh, more open-minded approach. And I thought it worked out quite nicely. And I was very happy with the series that I made on it. Continuing that trend, I wanted to try to maybe go into something that was recommended to me on the back of One Piece. So people were saying that if I like One Piece, I'll definitely like Hunter Hunter. And Hunter Hunter was a little bit more of a mixed bag for me. Now, that's in, in saying that. I still like really, really enjoyed it. I loved the opening. I think I was, I'm a bigger fan of the first half of the series than I am the second half, which I think is rather uncommon. People were kind of disappointed that I didn't get on board with uh, the Chimera Ants arc section of it, which is sort of like a much more uh, grim, realistic depiction of events versus what had been more lighthearted and upbeat in the past. Yeah, that was my least favorite arc out of all of out of all of the Hunter Hunter arcs. What was your What was your favorite arc in Hunter Hunter? By the way. Oh, I. I genuinely, I actually thought the first act was amazing. I thought that I, I thought it started off super strong. I kind of liked how it kind of like basked in this kind of like, oh, we're doing a challenge and it's, and it's a series of challenges. And so as like a viewer or a reader or whatever you were, you 
you kind of look into that kind of arc and think, okay, I, I know what to expect. I know what's coming. And so you kind of get the chance to focus then on the characters and their back and forths. And that kind of got me more into the whole series as well. Like, plus the ending to the first arc with uh, like Gon just kind of like getting stabbed in the head and just never flinching because he has one goal in mind. That kind of like really spoke to me. I thought that was really strong, especially for a shonen series, you know? Yeah. Mine was definitely Greed Island, thousand percent. I think that was one of the most unique arcs I've seen in anime, full stop, to be honest. Yeah. Um, what was your favorite part? I think the battle system, learning the battle system of the cards and that the return and, and eject kind of sequences and how and how the aims kind of came together and all of the all of the motives came together, I think. And how they and then how they kind of fused that with Nen, because obviously they'd done the Nen, the kind of Nen learning arc Man, long before Nen that. Nen was crazy. I thought Nen was such a cool system. I love that. I mean, it's a like, great power system. Yeah, like my, my like so on my channel, I uh, write the scripts and, and I uh, record the stuff, obviously, but I have an editor that works with me and he is mad into uh, like so many more anime and manga than I've ever, or maybe ever will cover in my lifetime. So like he he's an invaluable resource and you're you're sort of echoing his same statements where like he, I think his favorite his favorite arc as well was Greed Island. Yeah, man. It was and for all arc. the reasons that you outlined, like he he loved taking down and made notes for all the different cards and all that kind of stuff. It was wild. Very reminiscent of Yu-Gi-Oh and stuff like that. But given that you haven't actually seen Vinland Saga before what were your expectations going into that you know actually they were quite high so I recently covered Attack on Titan I made a massive video on it it was about three hours long it took me months and months and months of work and when I released it I was very happy with it but immediately on the back of releasing something you always get asked questions about oh what's next you should do this and Vinland Saga in response to my covering of Attack on Titan was the number one thing people recommended me to look at so when you guys approached me with, uh, hey, we want to talk with you about Vinland Saga, I was like, oh, this is a great opportunity. I'm really excited for this. And be because the same studio who worked on Attack on Titan worked on uh, Vinland Saga, and you notice that immediately, or at least I did. Like, in, in, in the first opening sequences where you see uh, Thor's just, like, like cutting down numerous guys, it's just so reminiscent of, like, Levi soaring through the different cities in, uh, in Attack on Titan. They're really, they're really, really good at depicting and moving inertia. They're really good at, like, creating, like, liquid splash, and they, they really understand the physics of that. Like, mm. they've done some amazing things in, in um, Attack on Titan. Amazing, amazing. Like, when, he fight, when Levi fights the Beast Titan or when he first fights the, the female Titan and stuff like that. But we're digressing. We're digressing. We could do this all day. <laughs> I'm gonna follow you after this anyway, and bug you in the DMs, and we'll 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 have a talk about it. And with that in mind, uh, what did you make of episode ten? For me, episode ten was sort of like a really thematically driven episode. So like throughout the entire story, it's sort of like dealing with like what does it mean to be a man for like this young boy and him growing up over the years and coming to realize what his dad might have actually been trying to instill in him. And you get kind of like echoes of that through the dream sequences and all, and, and, and all that kind of stuff that uh, Torfinn's kind of like engaging with and all that kind of... So thematically, I think it's probably my favorite one because it sort of deals with the entire story. We see what he wants. And I think a lot of that is in, is like uh, impressed upon him through the teachings of his father. And you see that kind of vision of him in those moments. And what I liked about those moments as well, actually, by the way, this is sort of a small tangent, but like I'm from these neck of the woods. And so a lot of the leaves and grass and flowers, I recognize all of those things. So like it's really true to where I'm from. So like, I, I, again, the that's one of the, like I actually watched this in English and I don't normally watch these things in English. In fact, I think this is the first one I've watched in English in 
God knows how many years. But the image that was great, but it was just, it gave me an opportunity to actually really look at the artwork that's on display because I really wanted to see the landscapes because it, it like it, it explores England a lot, a lot and stuff. And it's really cool getting to see all the different kinds of foliage that, that's from around here, you know? Because that was what I had with the Evangelion as well. Yeah, Whereas yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I normally I watch subbed, but I went for dubbed for uh, Evangelion just because the artwork was so beautiful. I didn't want to not be looking at it. What I thought was fantastic about this um, dream sequence was that it really, like it really captured that feeling that you have in dreams where some, like everything's sort of fluid. Yeah. So, you know, there's a moment where he's on his dad's shoulders and the next thing, you know, you know, he's looking out over his own village and it's winter and that, that quick change and stuff, it felt like really, but obviously, you know, it's some part of his subconscious that's like, you know, you've got family back home, maybe go check on them. Yeah, it's like a subconscious reoccurring of, grounding himself in the things that have lasted in his life a lot lot longer than this grudge do you know what i mean mm. and trying to like rediscover it seems like his psyche is and his subconscious is trying to make him rediscover who he really is and who he knows himself to be rather than this person that he's he feels forced or he's he's been catapulted into being because of his his grudge against ashlad do you know what i'm saying yeah. so it's I, I just found it i found it really interesting back on the dream on that dream sequence that he didn't actually remember what Vinland was, but in pre in previous episode he'd he'd explained it. Do you know what I mean to yeah. to the slave girl? So it was like you've woken up and it, and it was it was very conducive with like waking up and it, within the first ten seconds, if you don't if you don't remember everything that you dreamed within those first ten seconds, you don't really remember mm. the dream. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Um. I, I just found that really really. F it was like a really nice fleeting way to kind of show us how far down the rabbit hole or far into the abyss he's gone do you ever dream of a place like do you ever dream of places that you've never been yeah all the time actually all yeah. the time all the time like i i have i have like a dream section in my in my memo notes yeah um where if i have a really vivid dream i'll i'll i can i can almost subconsciously force myself awake and i write about i write everything that i remember yeah like, right i just joy do you it have down. a vinland do you have one, one that keeps popping up no not one that re keeps reoccurring not yet anyway what about you mark do you have any do you have a vinland in your dreams that pops up so my partner like she 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 describes me as someone that has wonderlust so i'm always dreaming about going to different places and that's what made the pandemic for me so troubling because like i love to travel and so i've been kind of stuck in my house and my neighborhood for effectively the last two years i had a plan to go to to uh climb Kilimanjaro earlier this year and I had to I had to cancel it like I really I want to do all of these things like and I actually ended up and funny enough actually I actually ended up having dreams about it because I was so excited for it and I was kind of like still not ready to kind of give it up you know I do want to go to Japan next year actually oh it's such a good place you have to yeah I will so good I was there before and like it's like an entirely different world a hundred percent one thing I just have to say is I love the detail of there just being a dead soldier in the middle of the uh you know the stables where he's just sleeping oh yeah 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 i was like oh there's an axe there oh yeah, the axe yeah. isn't a man oh you just fell asleep next to a dead guy yeah yeah cool. yeah. and cool, you know cool, what cool, that's cool. so crazy because when he was when he was a kid and he first saw a dead body it was like so traumatic for him he just vomited and yeah all of this other stuff but he was like six at the time and he just didn't know and he smelt it as well that's the wickedest thing but imagine trying to sleep next to a dead body what you'd be smelling well it just it just goes to show that in he's a bar clearly gone that far and he he's doesn't care now so far down the rabbit hole like he's so far gone right now yeah
I think he can still come back though. I think he can still come back. Like it's, it, I, to be honest, for me, it, it kind of, like I totally agree. It, it kind of really speaks to where his mindset is now. I mean, to go back momentarily just for the dream sequence, there's a moment where like uh, Taurus kind of points to him and say, "Look down there. That's what's important." And it's like pointing to his sisters, his mother, his village, his family, and stuff. And he wants to do something about it. And then all of a sudden, all the archers take aim, and it looks like they're shooting at him, but in actuality, they shoot past him. Figuratively, he dodged a bullet, and he doesn't realize how valuable what his how valuable a gift his father just gave him. He gave him the gift of life and all that kind of stuff. So he's sleeping next to all these corpses, not batting an eyelid, and it's because he doesn't recognize the value of what he actually has been given now, both by Thorse and by Asclad. Both of those people technically gave him a gift, which is you may live, and that's a very valuable thing, I think. And I don't think he's recognized it yet. So for me, Thorfinn sort of like represents like the the past he's like stuck in the past whereas Asgard then like he's he, he's very much fixated on the future he's he's contemplating his own mortality and just the kind of like uh, duality of those two different approaches is like super interesting to me so do you think Aslad and Thorfinn's relationship do you think they'll eventually like develop any kind of real real genuine respect for each other like or do you think they might team up in any way like or or become even if it's like a truce, you know what I mean? They'll just have like a maybe a quite a mature truce moment to kind of take down Torkoal or to complete any missions or anything. Where do you see that going? So like, I definitely see their relationship right now as it stands as sort of, at least from Thorfinn's point of view, a means to an end. And to a certain extent, Asklad's it's the exact same. He sort of sees like Thorfinn as like a useful tool for him to enact his own kind of forces on the world and stuff. But you could see in that moment when he's sort of reflecting on his own mortality, reflecting on the fact that like someday you will be stronger than me and I won't be able to do anything about it. Not because I'm not trying, but because time like everything will just start taking things away from us and he's talking like metaphysically as well like talking about his civilizations he's sitting on the ruins of rome and all and and and, and the roman empire and just pointing out to the fact that like once this was the most dominant civilization in the world a time where like and and, and this civilization that he's speaking of he acknowledges they're further and more advanced than he ever will be able to experience with his own civilization but that didn't stop that civilization from passing on so even if you know torfin doesn't get stronger than he currently is right now it's inevitable and that's sort of passage of time again like about life and death i i think what this story does really really well is that it kind of like ties in the idea of mortality with destiny and with uh it, it, it like it, it's sort of a timeless one as well it doesn't necessarily like have that much to do with vikings even though that definitely colors it it's sort of the framework this is all operating within but like it's a tale as old as time really like you know talking about your mortality the appreciation for life the importance of family and all that kind of stuff yeah it's very it's got a very fleeting kind of fleeting but purposeful energy around the entire series do you know what i mean i've watched it once before and i've luckily forgotten a lot of the details so i'm rewatching it again now as like as like with fresh eyes and ears and it's reminding me of all of it's making me question a lot of things do you know what i mean especially purpose like i'm a musician in my own space um i'm second album you know how second album goes for musicians so it's like i'm I'm even trying to figure out my purpose in a certain way myself do you know what i mean and i'm very much questioning my mortality do you know what i mean because you want it to be forever you do but you know it's not going to be forever and you need to know what you're going to affect and how to affect that the most in the time that you do have and you don't and you have no there's no real clock on that either. Like no one's got the Shinigami eyes. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you can't, you can't, you can't put a clock on it as much as you want to. So do you do you just enjoy the moments you have, or or do you work towards legacy? Or those are the kind of things, those are the kind of places it takes me to. And I think it does it really well. It's extremely existential. Like it just puts you in this 
this wide space of having to question absolutely everything, but in such a small and kind of stereotypical framework that they then break of over Vikings and pirates yeah. and invasions and the way that they frame women and all of this other stuff. Okay, so, well, bringing it back down from the wide mm-hmm. and back down to something very, very narrow, because mm-hmm. I'm worried that we're gonna we're gonna miss this, and okay. it's something that's driving me nuts. Okay. Is that Thorkel gets really, really excited when he finds out that Prince Canute is in charge? Oh yes, I I think it's very much the case that Thorkel is like a dog. He's like he's very like you know, and I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. It's actually kind of beautiful. He's like he's clearly aging, but he doesn't care. You know, he's very much living in the moment, and he just really wants to fight here and now. And I think he sees just this as a means to an end. He really wants to get his hands on the best fight of his life, and he can't get that against the English. So. May as well go against the Danes, and I think that I think I I think that's like I think I love what I love about him is that he's just so straightforward. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. you know. I think a lot of the characters are quite complex, so and they have a lot of layers to them. Do you know what I mean? Whether the layers are like unfolding in real time, like Torfinn, or or they're a little bit more intrinsic to the past, even though he looks to the future, like Ashlad. Do you get me? Like I feel like yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of complexity even in Tors, and we don't we don't get to see it all. So I think. Torko himself is super straightforward. Yeah, he doesn't really have that many layers. Do you know it's what I mean? It's just what you see is what you get. What it is. I just want to fight. And I think he's the type of, and that's why I feel like later on he's going to say something really profound because he's the type of character that would respect the person that kills him more than anyone else. The moments before he dies, he would he would look into that person's eyes with such adoration before mm. he, do you get me? I just feel like he's he respects war more than he respects his own life. See, and that's why this that's why this show could never be done during a time where there's cars. You can't have <laughs> you can't have him like respecting the person who was like accidentally reversed when they should have been going forwards. <laughs> he's like, why? He's very much just like whatever's in the past doesn't matter anymore. Like, I mean, like Thorfinn cuts off two of his fingers and he's like, Yeah, just I hope to see you later and all that kind of stuff. He's like already forgotten about it, you know what I mean? He's just very much looking ahead to, to like the next thing. Like he's just, I don't know. I think he's a really endearing guy. It's hard not to love him. Yeah. It is. But why is he excited about Prince Canute then? I like to think that they like, they, they got it on once. He's really excited to hear that Canute's in town. Yeah. I mean, you see, we see, we catch it at the, epi- at the end of episode 10 where he, he makes it to them for whatever reason. Like they, that um, Canute's army was meant to be four thousand strong, yeah. And then you get, and then we get the messenger who who survived the the apocalypse that Torku and and his army put on them, oh, which yeah. was a lot less men. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And he wiped out just because he had a massive like tree, <laughs> and he just wipes out everyone with this just tree. Becomes a human cannon. Literally, Start he's shooting. he's a tank. He's just a tank. Like he's a very typical MMORPG. They've captured uh, Guardian Warrior. They've with, captured Canute. Yeah, they, and they've captured him now. Do you know what I mean? And I think I think that's why he was he was so excited because he knows that if I if because I, he knows when he takes off Canute's helmet, it's gonna be a beautiful woman, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and they're gonna make sweet sweet violent babies. <laughs> sweet violent babies. That's album title. Yeah, it's my album. Even if we jump to the end, you catch you catch. Ashalad in the in his group kind of riling up his men as he speaks kind of on behalf of this messenger that was a part of the four thousand that got wait, decimated. Wait, wait, no. First of all, yeah. let's talk about this. The messenger comes to them and is like, "Oh, we need we need everyone's help. Where is everyone?" Yeah. And they're like, oh, "Everyone else went off north. We're just doing our thing." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the messenger's like, "We need as many as possible." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then. And then he just beheads the yeah, messenger, yeah, yeah, yeah. like out of nowhere. Yeah. But he knew, he, I feel like he knew he was going to do that from the beginning. Oh, but it's so in character. 
it's so in character for him to do that. Yeah, oh, yeah. It is, the moment I that guy said, the moment that guy said, oh, and you broke off from the, you, you didn't follow the rules. He's like, oh, yeah, you need to die. Do you know what I mean? Like, like he's just not that guy. So yeah, he beheads him and then and then he kind of just riles up his men and says, bro, whatever happens, we're going to make some money. So yeah. wh- like, what do you want to do? <laughs> but he <laughs> beheaded I mean? him because he didn't want anyone else to join Exactly. Them. He said no he's other like, units. this is our fight. Yeah, yeah. No other units, And man. they did actually see that in a previous episode when they were like, oh, there's not going to be many spoils if we have to, you know. Split it with split everyone. It with all these yeah, people. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're extremely selfish, but for good reason, I Ashland's guess. Ashland's gone. He's, he's gone, though. He, you is, think so? he does not care anymore. Nah, I think I think he's I, I think he's on the cusp of going. I think he's still making very tactical decisions, but he's on the cusp of going. A hundred percent. Like numerous times throughout this episode, like the word Twilight is mentioned. And so like it's he sort of he, he like it's sort of like his own internal recognizing of like maybe it's for him or maybe it's for his civilization, but whatever it is, he's gonna get the biggest bag he can. He's gonna go after the biggest cat in town. That that's pretty much his his whole thing right now. Ashley's trying to get to the bag. I love that about him. You know, for me. Villain Saga easily is a show that I'm going to definitely keep up with just because like it's it, it's sort of everything that I want. I was mentioning this to myself numerous times making mental notes as I was watching it over the last couple of days. And for me, it's like an anime, but it's very not an anime also. It's like it, at no point does it sort of like build up or make known that like Thorfinn's this unstoppable monster that's the chosen one. He gets beaten up routinely and constantly. It's a very... It's, it's, it's a very thematically driven show that's grounded in reality and i just i love that aspect of it like and it really kind of like leans into the whole like gory bloody nature of it all and like you know it and and then and like you know it also offers other moments that are kind of like deep and contemplative about life's journey as you were mentioning earlier i think season two's on the horizon too so yes it is yeah and i'm doing the mr burns rubbing of the hands (laughs) excellent (laughs) do you know what i mean Oh, well, thank you so much for joining us, Mark. And we're so glad that you're a Vinland Saga convert. Word. Where can we find you, bro? Oh, you can find me on YouTube.com under the pseudonym Totally Not Mark. I cover anime content, but more from like an educational, literary kind of point of view. It's not your typical reviews. I try to sort of bolster some a lot of people's opinions on different kinds of manga and hopefully they can come away with it learning something. So that's pretty much my approach. And I, yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's been a very fun conversation. Beautiful. Thank you. I'm going to be subscribing. (laughs) Thank you. Quick fire, quick fire, quick quick fire, quick fire, quick fire. (laughs) Nearly lost it, but you found it in the end. and I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. I am working on my so, vocals. So what what are we doing? <laughs> We're doing quickfire. <laughs> what? Uh, favorite character? Canute. Uh, uh, because we got a little bit of backstory there with the whole like, clearly they've converted to Christianity. Still not enough for me. Still not enough. He's not doing enough for me. There's a lot going on. He's not doing enough. Oh, um, I like the mystery. Torkoal, just because he's on chaos for me. Mm-hmm. Least favorite character? I didn't really like the way the the messenger spoke to um, <laughs> to Ashalad. So. Um, he got what he deserved in my like. Wow. Who are you, bro? Like, you just know who this is. You're speaking to about about deferred from the rules. Like, are you mad? Wow. You just came. You're a just come. That's what we call a just come. You're a newbie. You know what I'm saying? Now like, I'm relax. scared of having uh, Raj you up so much. <laughs> I feel like I know what's coming. It's not a beheading. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> well, my least favorite character is Ashalad. I was with him. I thought he was great, and then he beheaded the guy, and I was like, oh mate, come on now. Oh, that's crazy. That. Favorite scene. Uh, dream sequence. Okay. I just thought it was gorgeous. Yeah, it was a beautiful sequence. I'm inclined to agree with you, but I also love the scene where Torkel. I'm I'm a I'm a big Torkel stan. I also love the mm. scene where Torkel pulls up the tent, 
and reveals, oh, yeah, yeah. And reveals like, ha I found you almost like a game of hide and seek. Like everything is such a game to him. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Because he's just so big and just like behemoth. Like I, I really mess with that. They should have been like getting dressed and been wearing like love heart underpants. Like, oh Stop no. it. Love heart underpants. That would have been, that would have been weird. That's a trope. Yeah, that is a trope actually. <laughs> Uh, most epic moment. Ashtalad and the beheadening. The beheadening. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, I think yeah. it was slightly before the beheadening where he where he's speaking to his men and sh- telling them the logic. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, like that's uh, that's what we're here for. That's what I'm talking about. I don't know. Kind of I don't vibe. think they're all convinced. I think I think they were pretty with him. I think they were Ooh. pretty with him. I think we'll we've got two different interpretations. Yeah, I mean, we will. We will. And what is the question you most want answered next episode? What is Canute's deal? What are you bringing to the table, Canute? Well, my, my question from last week is still unanswered, which is we still haven't seen their faces. Word. Don't know what they look like. So technically that, but also now I really want to know what's going on back at home. Mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. I said this a couple of episodes ago. But yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, let's check in on Ilva and Co. Yeah, let's do a check-in. Mm. Let's do a check-in. Let's write a letter. Send a raven. And we're all out of time for today, but fear not, like Tor Spirit, we'll be back. Join us next week when we'll be tackling episode 11 of Vinland Saga, A Gamble. Expect commotion, expect carnage aptly. That was very beautiful. Thank you. We'll also be joined by comedian, animator and filmmaker Alastair Beckett-King, who could, dare we say it, give Prince Canute a run for his money in the hair department. Thanks for listening to this episode of Animator Z. And I can't believe we have to tell you this every week, but do us a solid and rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. And obviously, obviously, do not forget that you can watch all of Villain Saga right now on Prime Video. Animator Z is a Little Dot Studios production for Prime Video UK. The show is hosted by Shailingo and Beckham. It's produced by Nicole Davis, Jake Cunningham and Harold McShill. With production coordination from Ellie Aitken and editing by James Payne. With additional research by Ren Skateni. If you've enjoyed the show, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and wherever else you get your podcasts. 